Hey everybody, we're back again with another guest speaker. Today, uh, well, I'm going to be introducing to you a friend that I've met through travel. Um, just a really beautiful individual. Let me read his bio for you. Andrew is an international sativa yoga teacher based out of Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. He's a yogi, a father, husband, teacher, and a filmmaker. Andrew began the liberation of breath, body, mind through the practice of Kung Fu at a very early age. It awakened to a calling to a path of self-inquiry that would eventually lead him to devote his life to an ancient lineage, lineage and authentic wisdom of yoga practices passed down to him by his guru. In the past 10 years, Andrew has overcome measurable health odds placed against him physically and as a result, physically, emotionally. His experience serves as a testament of how aligning breath, body, mind through a devoted yoga practice can radically, radically overcome that which seems impossible, as well as awaken innate, authentic truths about who you are and why you are here. Now Andrew travels worldwide, leading intensive workshops, retreats as part of the commitment to sharing a practice that invites people to connect to a deeper and more authentic experience of self. He skillfully combines the workings of body, breath, and mind with a clearly discern posture practice, breathing techniques, medi meditation that leaves you feeling blissful, pleasant, grounded. His philosophical teaching draws from his personal experience, delivered with humor, fearless authenticity. He is proud to be part of a community so invested in creating meaningful change in global community. Andrew and his wife, Laura, recently welcomed their first child, River Sata Hart Maisel. To date, um, his greatest teacher. So let me invite Andrew and let's let's have a let's have a chat with this man. Bam. <laughs> How you doing, brother? I'm doing very well. How are you? I'm good, man. It's it's always interesting to read people's bios and like despite the bio in itself, I remember I actually saw you in India and it was yeah. actually the first time I got to meet you, to sit with you, to talk with you and I'll always remember the, the well, we journey. Did meet once in Toronto. Oh yes, we did in the yoga class. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you that's right. The class. But, but yeah, go yeah, ahead. Well, I don't want to interrupt because that was a very special uh, experience that we had. If you want to share about it, by all means. Oh, for sure. Like it was <laughs> a very, it, it was very interesting that we met up with you, and then we went on the bike ride, and we ended up going into um, the mountains to Trimundi sit with Hill. that. Yeah, Tremundi Hill to sit with that guru, and to me, that was one of the most. I can't explain it, but it's like as as we walked into there, it was as if time and reality stopped as this man was speaking to us. And it's like all the thoughts that we had, he was already answering it without realizing like it was it was such an amazing experience. Like he knew without even knowing. He spoke without even having to speak. It was the most amazing situation that like when we walked out there, it was like <gasps> We're like, whoa. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, that, that experience of you say of time seemed to have stopped. Is that what you said? Time seemed to stop. Is that what you said? Yeah. yeah. Well, I think that when you go to places like that, you get to actually experience time for what it is. Mm. And it feels like stopping. But what you're actually doing is really, really entering a moment. And that gentleman has that capability because he's awakened that within himself. I mean, you want to talk about awakenings, right? Mm. It was like that because um, I had met him years ago. Um, well, 
do you remember how we actually got to see him? Like he was in bed, basically. He's a diabetic on his deathbed. Yeah. And he was sleeping. And somehow they woke him up to come and talk to us, which was, but I think it's not because it's us. I think he'll speak to anybody in his last days that he uh, can speak to. I met mm -hmm. him two years ago, or no, longer than that, about five years ago. I was on a trip where I had made a practice to not um, make any plans at all. Like I landed in Bangalore and I was leaving in Bangalore. And other than that, I didn't really have many plans. And I ended up uh, meeting him on that trip just by sort of following the instruction of, uh, of India and of life, you know? That was a really uh, beautiful moment. And uh, I, I always look back at that, that particular evening and smile. Um, yeah, man, I was really grateful to be able to spend that with you. But you have a solid point. It's, it's like almost like when you're in a state of flow or things that happen, it's, it's not that your time stops. It's like you're finally, like you said, you're finally, have, you're finally in the moment and so present. So let's that go all the way. We, uh, that which we call time is really a construction of how we just organize our life based on distortions of the past, distortions of the moment, and distortions of the future, because none of it is actually that real, if you think about it. I like it. Okay, so let's, let's go to the beginning. Tell me sure. about you, your life. Like, I, I, yes, share, share your experience, your knowledge, and you with all of us. You see the gray hair. We could be here for a while. I love it. I got time. Okay. Um, you wanted to talk, would you want me to share a little bit about my past and, or you want me to share a little bit about, sure. I'll show you a little bit about my past. I grew up in uh, South America. I grew up in the, in the base of the hills of, uh, of the Andes in Chile and uh, had a pretty uh, rough upbringing just in terms of like the family dynamic. My parents mm -hmm. separated and my mother and I came to Canada when I was about, um, when I was, going into grade seven, so quite young. And through that time, it was been a real lesson after lesson after lesson after lesson after lesson after lesson. So we were gonna talk about the process of awakening. I really thought about that. And there's a few ways that you could look at it. And I'll share mm -hmm. with you a couple. But one of them is when you look back at where you are now, you see that the awakening started when you started, like when you mm -hmm. literally first awoke. And that all of those experiences have just lent so much wisdom to what I feel now, you know, so much understanding to the way I see life now. Um, so the process of awakening started deep, deep in the trenches. You know, it really started deep in the suffering, deep in the dark side of things. If you want to be fully awakened, don't kid yourself. You can't get there through happiness. <laughs> That's, that's one side of the equation. You got to experience the whole thing. And so I got the fortune and the fortitude to experiencing at a young age and use it as a way to really uh, build and construct my own personal wisdom, my own personal inner vision, really. That's what it's about for me right now. It has been for the past decade. It's just connecting to the inner vision and what that really means because it gets lost. You know, it gets lost as we grow because so much is inputting and, and stored that we're not, we're carrying a lot. And it seems like it's getting even more intense, the, the uh, speed at which we're getting all of this information, mm -hmm. right? So there are important, for me, that's why it's so important to take on a practice that is constantly resetting you, constantly resetting you so that you can keep working those things and cleaning them so that you can get to a place of, of, of essence, really. 
Mm. I've skipped my whole life, but I was going to sh- go ahead. <laughs> no, it, but it's true though. Right now, it's it, it's you hit on a very good point. Is right now we're living in a sea of information, but yet we're drowning for wisdom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because so, uh, we somehow think that they're related, but they're not. They're really not. Wisdom and knowledge not that related. And we seem to think that they are. And in doing well, so, we are seeking outside of ourselves for information to make ourselves wise when really the wisdom is there. I love it. So tell me about it. Tell okay. me more about your childhood. So, tell me more about your growth. Yes. Yeah, I grew up uh, practicing martial arts. I practiced Kung Fu from a very early age. Um, I was in, I was a filmmaker. I was an actor, actually, when I first started. Now I make now I'm behind the scenes when I when I work. And uh, I was in music. I was in a band for about nine years touring across Canada. I um, I was doing everything that I wanted to do right before I started practicing yoga. I was doing a film career. I had a sitcom on TV at that time. Um, I was playing music and I was traveling with my band, but I was so desperate to understand myself better. I was in really, really great despair because I found that I was constantly chasing, chasing, chasing and and never getting anywhere. That's what it felt like to me. And I got, I went through bouts of deep depression, uh, eating disorders. Uh, I got super, super ill with Crohn's disease, which is Mm -hmm. actually part of the big awakening in my life was that. And I can share a little bit about more specifically about that as well. Um, So I stopped doing all kinds of performing arts and anything like that. And kind of went partying for a little while too Hmm. and decided I want to get back into martial arts because I remember the feeling that I had after I practiced. I remember just how alive I felt and how unimportant all of the extra noise would become when I could get a good practice and meditation because I've been meditating too uh, with Kung Fu. Um, But I, because of the Crohn's and all of the stuff that I'd went through, I didn't think that I could go back into where I left off. For sure, I couldn't go back to where I left off with my martial arts. So I, th- I thought maybe I'll just go and try some yoga and see if I can get some flexibility back and some strength back. Well, the first yoga class that I took, actually it was a Bikram class. That was not what hooked me, but it got me intrigued. And then I went to another hot yoga class a year after And that got me really intrigued to maybe start really pursuing it. But then I met my teacher and um, he gave me a practice that made me feel like I was coming back to something. Um, It made me, uh, it made me realize that all of those years that I was practicing martial arts, what I was actually really looking for was what I got out of yoga. Mm. So I took on that practice and I haven't looked back ever, ever since. And, um, People think I started at a really young age, but I actually started when I was about 29, which is still relatively young. But uh, it seemed to me that I'd been doing it forever. That's the feeling that I got connected with it and the way that uh, my teacher so intelligently instructed me was to always keep looking for what I was looking for, but within myself, even in my yoga practices. Is that a good brief? I could go deeper, but that's about my life. <laughs> well, well, that's beautiful. Uh, you know, you, you talk about the hardships and growing up and the things that happened to you in, in your youth and being diagnosed with, you know, we've had 
three speakers and each speaker has told us that they've been diagnosed with a, a, like a disease. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious to know about when that happened, what happened, what were you thinking? Like what, what ha- Like, yeah, tell me a little more about that. Um, well, the way that I see those autoimmune diseases are really, well, on a medical fact, it's you attacking yourself, your autoimmunity just kind of attacking itself. But I think it, for me, it almost feels as a manifestation of everything that I've been doing since I was very young, putting that level of pressure on myself, mm-hmm. you know, because the autonomic system is tied in with your subconscious, right? Your autonomic system is tied in with your subconscious, like all of the way that the intelligence of the body functions is tied in with the subconscious. And we load up the subconscious with undealt stuff. And it starts to manifest itself on an endpoint as a disease. Mm-hmm. At an endpoint of all of that frustration, you're going to end up with a disease. That's why it's called a dis-ease. It's because you're not at dis-ease. ease. The mind is not at ease, right? And um, so I felt really that what I was going through was a manifestation of all the karmas that I've been taking in this life for sure, but maybe even before that. And uh, I had the opportunity to get sick. I had the opportunity to get really sick. I mean, like, I almost died. I was in the hospital for several months, uh, relearning how to walk, breathe, like that. I got my, my, my large intestine got taken out. It was, so I was teaching yoga and PEI, and I got really sick. I'm, not gonna, I'm gonna spare you the details, but I woke up in, um, it's a long story. I was in, the, in and out of hospitals. I'm not gonna get you through all the details, but I'll tell you about the last time that I was in the hospital wake up in the middle of the night in PI, didn't know where I was. And I was very, very high because they'd given me all kinds of like morphine. And I had this, I had this vision that everything was gonna be okay. Hmm. Like I literally saw it. It wasn't like a belief, oh, I hope, I wish. It was, everything is gonna be okay. And I felt it and I saw it. And ever since that day, I started getting better. Doctors couldn't really real uh, understand why I was getting better and better at the rate that I was getting at. And I really do believe it's because of what I saw. My whole physical, emotional, psychological, spiritual system were mm-hmm. all collaborating in that vision. And I got better. But in that time when I was in that despair and in that time when I was dying, um, life got streamlined, really, really streamlined. All the stuff that didn't matter really didn't matter because I almost died. I was almost died. So when you're that close to the veil, you get to see just how precious life really is and what is precious about life. Like, what is life? (laughs) It's a real opportunity. It's a real opportunity to go through the pain. And through that, see beauty that you could never have ever imagined unless you had gone through that pain or unless you'd gone through that struggle. You could not really see the beauty the same way if you hadn't. I don't think so. There's just a level of appreciation that is built through those dark times. So I got to see all that. Money problems weren't a problem. Uh, Mm -hmm. Marital or relationship problems weren't a problem. I was back to the autonomic system. I need to learn how to breathe again. That's, that's, mm. that's really important. 
then I'd like to get back into like being able to move properly. You know, uh, oh God, there's these friends, these really just few friends that I really, really want to see again. You know, and all of those things get really streamlined. And that's the gift of almost dying. I say it as a joke, but I kind of really mean it. Part of me always wished that people would almost die at least once they were alive, you know, to really see what it is. Death itself is just a, it's just another birth. I really see that. It used to be an idea to me, but now I really see that. And the fear that we have around it is the fear that we have with everything that we don't know. So if we can learn how to, as yoga practitioners or as people who are seeking a higher truth, learn to really embrace what you don't know, you open yourself up to things you could not even imagine. And I felt that as well with, with this illness. And when I got out of the hospital, um, well, when I was in the hospital and I was, again, taking a lot of morphine at that time, I told the doctors that when, as soon as I got out, I was going to take my motorcycle and I was <laughs> going to ride it from Prince Edward Island to Tofino. And they're like, we can't let you do that. I'm like, I, didn't, I wasn't asking them. <laughs> I'm just sharing what's going to happen. And so I did. I did. You know, when you get out of the hospital and you got stitched, like I got cut open from here to here. You got stitched. You can't even pick up bags, never mind a 1,200 pound or a 1,200 cc's motorcycle, big bike. But I had, it was just clear to me. It wasn't, there was no fear around. There was no negotiation. It was annoying. And that whole time was an initiation. And I didn't know that then, but I know it now. It was an initiation on the path of becoming present. You know, you talked about that time standing still. It, that, it's connecting to that. Because my whole life, because of the way I felt like I was always at a place of lack, I was constantly chasing. What I had was just never enough. Um, through insecurities and finances or whatever. I had to keep chasing. I, and no matter how amazing things were, ha were, were, were going on in my life and the things that were going on in my life, I was never there. Mm. So that creates a lot of stress on your system. You remind, I use this idea like a candle, you know? I've shared this before with some students, but like, it's like mine is like a candle. And if I was to put a candle in a, in a dark room, it would create a circumference of, 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 a, of luminescence around, like a, like a light, right? A glow. I don't know I have to get, get fancy with the words. <laughs> a glow. And it glows, but as it glows, you look on the ground, it gets darker and darker and darker and darker. Now let's take this as if the mind is, this is the mind. And this is the timeline of the mind, the one that we create about the past and the future. And the further we go into the past, the darker it gets further we get into future, the darker it gets. Most of us are living in those areas. Nobody's ever living where the mind is just completely like a light, you know, like really, really sharp. And so my process of riding that motorcycle was to consolidate the timeline of my mind. Because when you're mm -hmm. on a motorbike, you literally have to be there. So I rode my motorcycle from PEI to Tofino. And that was really an initiation because ever since I've been living my life like that, Maybe not that dramatically, but mm -hmm. definitely in collaboration with the unknown, collaboration with the chaos of pure potential. Um, and every time I, and don't get me wrong, I'm not perfect. I go into my own tangents as well, but 
I have a reminder that keeps bringing me back, that keeps bringing me back. Because I have this feeling that our frustrations, um, when we're pissed off at ourselves, it's never necessarily, well, it's not not never, but a lot of the times it's not the circumstance placed around you. It's actually that inner wisdom speaking to you. Mm-hmm. And you're just not aligning with it. You're not aligning with your dharma. I look at my child, man. It's the most beautiful thing. Oh, my God. You want to talk about, <laughs> I just get goosebumps thinking about, like, how incredible it is to be a father, especially when she's only three weeks old, mm-hmm. three and a half weeks old. But it's amazing to see a being without a subconscious. Like, the subconscious and the conscious mind, when they're a baby, are one. There's no filter in their face. They got a they got a shit. They do it purposefully. There's no <laughs> nothing else. Nothing else. They want to cry, they cry. They want to eat, they eat. They're so in tune with life. And that's that's that part of ourselves that is fully awakened. That's a part of ourselves that is fully, fully, fully awakened, but is in our nature to incarnate. And in incarnation, you take on the nature of attaching your things. To, you're attaching that spirit onto things. It attaches first onto a body, attaches itself onto food, and then it begins to attach itself into the surrounding. And then it begins to attach itself into uh, communication, dealing with others. And then they get to attach themselves into ideas and philosophies and then the distortion really, really starts to, and then they get to, they have to start to really take on life as a responsibility and duty. Mm-hmm. And you see the process of a child to an adult. And what happens is you have this awakened state, right? You have this awakened state that once they start to learn how to be in their surroundings, they become even more purposeful because now they play and they dream. They think of all these incredible things. And then we start to attain duty in our life and responsibility and the dreams start to go down and the responsibilities start to get heightened and suddenly we're in this place where we feel completely at a loss because we've mm-hmm. let go of that inner vision that's the inner vision that i was talking about the, the ability to really feel purposeful in everything that you do and i think the tricky part about that is to how do you dissociate that from goals because it's not goals either because it's not something that might be even meaningful to anybody but you. Beautiful. Very well said. Did that I not answer true. your question? I think I, you answered multiple questions. Um, I, had, I had a <laughs> podcast not too long ago and I spoke to the guy who was to do it after and I'm like, man, and I listened to the podcast back, podcast back and I'm like, Dude, I got to get better at actually answering questions because I go on too many tangents. So I'm on a practice right now. Well, that's beautiful. Like the, the main idea was it is talking about the, those moments of awakening and the changes that we make. And you said that in the hospital, you had the vision. Mm. Prior to that vision, what was going on in your mind? What was going on in your head? What were you thinking? Um, I thought my life was over. You know, I really did. Um, well, for one, the doctor, it was, I was going septic. My, my, my large intestine had ruptured mm. and uh, the doctors wanted to send me back home because they thought I just had a fever. And I've been dealing with Crohn's now for about eight years at this point. And I had to fight to get a, a scan 
I had to fight for it, like over an hour with a, with a doctor that just wouldn't understand that I understood my body. And then he finally did. And then a surgeon came in and said, you got to call home because we have to operate in t- like now. Like hmm. call home, we're coming back in 10 minutes, you're going into the operation. I mean, there's no questions asked. You're, if you don't do that, you're not going to survive. So in many ways, I guess it was just the way that I listen best is when life slaps me in the face. And that's what that felt like. And then waking up and not knowing where you are in a room that you don't recognize. And it was a real interesting experience. I guess I've never really fully unpacked it because I've always been paying attention to how beautiful it was. I really was beautiful. It really was an opportunity to, uh, change the trajectory of my life very very potent that's one way of going about it. i mean and then everything that i do in my life is an attempt to interact with that with the blissfulness of life the, the bliss of seeing life for what it is there's a bliss to understanding yourself in that way at certain times in your life have you ever experienced that I, I know exactly, like, I can, I can feel what you're talking about because I've had my own very intense traumatic situation where everything was taken away from me. And then I had to relook at what everything was, who I was, what did I want, what was I working for, what was I achieving, and then realize, well, if that's all taken away, what's left? Well, I'm left. Uh, am I enough? I think so. And then I move forward with my life from that. Because if I'm already enough, then everything else is just a bonus. Everything else is just, you know, it, it's, yeah, everything else is just an added thing. I don't need more layers because I am enough, who I am. And constantly who I am will constantly change. See, there's multi, there's many layers of us. When we say that we want to be only my authentic self, that doesn't work. Because you are so many different things in so many different situations. But the one thing that I did when I was in my situation was I made a promise and I promised myself and I sat with myself and I meditated and I thought, okay, if I get out of the situation, I promise. And what are your promises, Aaron? It's, I want to live a life where I'm serving people. I'm giving back. I want to live a life where I'm feeling fulfilled. I want to live a life that's actually making a difference in this life. And I want to live a life that's not all about me. Mm-hmm. But it's about being around other people because I could see the the exchange that I could have. So for me, what happened was I made a promise. When you were in your situation, did you make any promises to yourself? No. Hmm. I didn't make any promises with myself, I guess, consciously. But I was reborn. So I guess I didn't feel like I needed to make a promise because there was just a, <clears throat> there was a knowing rather than a thinking. Mm-hmm. You know, you said, I think so. You said earlier when you said, am I not? But eventually you have to get to, I know. So, because mm-hmm. the thinking is what pulls you away from knowing. 100%. And, and, and it's a practice and it's a practice. And the beautiful thing that I believe is that we're all going there. The beggar on the street, the king, the politician, the thief, they're all getting there. Everybody has a really interesting way of getting there. 
but we're all getting there. You know, even at 20%, people are actually trying their best. And so it takes a certain amount of energy to do that. And I believe that it takes a, a certain amount of physical energy as well, which is why you are so adamant of, of running. There's a lot to it. I'm adamant about, about my yoga, but it's because it's a physical experience that we're having and spiritual. They're both, <laughs> they're, they're, they're not separate in any way. Shiva is in everything. And all we're doing with our practices is enlivening that feeling of aliveness so that we can psychologically connect to it. So that the psychology of our mind can connect to it and then through that, ease up a little bit. Because our psychology can get very, very rigid. And the body has a lot to teach that psychology. It can teach it to relax a little bit. It can teach it to let go of the authority over your life. But simply learning how to relax the body, it's really, really powerful. But when you're able to do that, when you're able to relax your identities and relax all those things, you have a much more open path to connect to that place of essence, that child-like state inside of you. Really, not, not, as, a, not as a something to say poetically, but like for real. And then over time, you practice discernment. How much, do you, how much can you apply what you're listening from that inner self with what you have right now, what you understand of the world? Because it's not just that. That's not the reality. You will be there one day. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the reality is that we're here. We're talking on this. We're trying to make a difference. So how do we pull the wisdom from that essence into what we're doing right now? And so through the practices of meditation, through the practices of yoga, we're creating a clear line of communication with that. And that is the spring of all the wisdom. That is the spring of all the wisdom, of all the ages. That is the spring. It's in you, it's in me, it's in plants, it's in everything. How do you access that? The process of awakening is the process that you take every time, every time you take a yoga practice. Even if you have no idea, even if you're going into a thing what people would call a workout, that is part of it. So at a very early stage, but it's as important as any action. In fact, it might be the most important. Hmm. Right. That's why I don't. People always ask me about certain practices of yoga. I'm like, don't ask that question. It's all good. It'll take you there if you keep pulling on the thread. It might change your practices. It might change your company. It might change the direction of your life if you keep pulling on the threads of your own path, of your own dharma. Wake that up. Let me ask you a question because nowadays there are so many practices of yoga and there's so many things that are going out there. Now, my question has nothing to do about the practices. My question has to do more of what does yoga mean? What is the definition of that word? It cannot be described. Hmm. I don't teach yoga. I teach a practice that with devotion, I mean true devotion and dedication and discipline will one day bring you to understand what yoga is. Because to understand yoga is, in my opinion, like uttering the word God. How can you encapsulate something that is that infinite into a word? The word itself separates it from what it is. And I feel that way about yoga. It's a 
it's a union it's a union what we do what we practice is a practice that awakens the path to really merge into that union and it's a very scientific practice that has been developing it's a living tradition that has developed for thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of years in sattva yoga, and it's sattva yoga, not sativa. I heard you say sativa. Like, Sorry about that. I like, give people the wrong impression. It's a <laughs> yeah. sattva yoga, yoga sattva. of intelligence. It's very simple, this practice that I teach, uh, given to me by my teacher. It has one mantra, and that's the mantra Om. Mm. People don't understand sometimes the, the value of that. It's, well, it's a kind of simple, it's not much to it. But what the OM stands for is yoga. You know, it's the, the everlasting sound of creation. That's what OM stands for. The sound of the Sushumna Nadi, of the central channel of, of life. At the very, very essence of the spine. That's, that's the, the esoteric sound of that is the mantra OM. Mm -hmm. And then everything that is manifested is a variation of like this chair that I'm sitting on, like this body that I have. Science has proven that, that's proven for a long time that what we are is vibration, sound, light. All a resonance of that uh, initial sound. So we are, with our practices, really tuning everything into that mantra. We do all of the postures to awaken the spine so that the spine can sing the mantra. We, we have one seat, and that's our meditation. We have two questions. Question number one, who am I? Question number two, why am I here? Two questions, that's it. One mantra, two questions, one seat. That is the sattva practice fundamentally. And then everything is built on really embodying that, those questions and embodying that mantra. And then through the process of doing that, that's your answer. What is yoga? <laughs> you know, that's how you, that's how we believe we get to that practices, to the to that understanding of what yoga is. I uh, that's how I describe it. I I, I well, don't like to say what it is because I don't think that anybody actually knows that. Well, I think I well, I think your answer is great because. Your answer wasn't, well, yoga is the poses. Yoga, it's like, it's what it is to you, what you describe, your journey, your thing with it. And so instead of encapsulating it with something so simple, you express what it's been to you. And I think that's very important because even if somebody were to ask me, like, yeah, I, I'm, I run, I run marathons, ultras, and somebody's like, well, what does, what's the definition of, month, of running? If I use like the the dictionary definition, it's to right. move your feet and your body. But my definition is it's like the Native Americans. They said it's like praying to the earth and the sky at the same time. Mm. It's being in tune with your breath. It's learning about something. It's about not running away from your problems, but running into them and staying with them from kilometer to kilometer, and still taking that next step to cross the finish line. Well, it's a kriya. Running is like a kriya. Mm. The way you're moving your diaphragm, the way you're moving your body and your breath is a kriya, and it brings up a lot of stuff. When you're running, you're constantly working stuff out, are you not? Always. Maybe not so much now as you did perhaps when you started, because you're emptying, you're emptying it out. 
I used to run as well before I started to actually really get into yoga. That was my practice. And I felt that if I, I, I was a bit obsessive, to be honest, I could not not do it and have and then go to bed. I was a runner, mm-hmm. like I had to run. But it kept me leveled. And I mean, now studying yoga more and more, I think it has a lot to do with the way that you're loosening up the stagnations of your diaphragm, which holds a lot of psychosomatic memory ever since you were born. The first time you went, <laughs> it's all still there in the diaphragm. And so loosening up the diaphragm with running, with yoga, does a huge, huge uh, impact on releasing the subconscious. Well, so I have two questions and I'll ask, I'll ask this one right now is, you know, for anybody listening, and that they're going through this state of awareness, of awakening, where things start to shift, start to change in their life. Is there any advice that you would give to an individual that might be experiencing something like this? Because it can be very, like I still remember when I took my first second, like when I was in the Sahara Desert and I took my first breath and I just went, (gasps) and I'm like, Oh my God. And like everything I'm like, Oh, really? It's like, I, I felt like I was unplugged from the matrix and it was like a rebirth. Yeah. This was in Morocco. Um, mm, that's gorgeous. So I went through my own experience, but what, what would you tell to other people that are, are starting to get into this? Let it go hmm. as soon as you can. Let it go because you'll start to attach too much meaning to it. And when you start to attach too much meaning to it, you just, it's like pouring water on it. That's I really like, I, would say. I like that answer. Because otherwise you'll start chasing it. And if you start chasing it, you're never going to find it. It's super important to practice without attaching yourself to whatever you're practicing to, because that whatever thing that you're chasing, you're never going to get. As long as you keep chasing it, you're never going to get it. I was thinking about this idea of inner vision. After you have taken on a path and you feel like you're at that stage, because it's important to realize as well that you are getting there and Mm. let it go. Otherwise you get stuck in always healing and never healed. Always awakening, but never being awake. You have to recognize as well when when, when things have shifted and you can simply do that by looking at where you are in life. It doesn't have to be a major thing. Yep. Right. Um, but then at some point you have to start to ask yourself a few questions. One question is, what is it that you see when you actually stop looking? Hmm? That's one question. What is it that you get when you stop reaching? Hmm. What do you attain when you let go? Those kinds of questions. Because at some point, you got to stop looking outside of yourself. So what do you see when you stop looking? After you've taken practices and practices and practices, what do you see when you stop looking? What is it the thing that you feel when you stop reaching and reaching and reaching? And then that way, you want to keep grounding into that. You want to keep grounding into that answer. That is not that should not come in words, by the way. Right? Those are not. Oh, I see a. I see an apple. <laughs> Maybe you should go have an apple. <laughs> Could be good too. But I have had to go through that actually as a very as of as of recently. Uh, another I felt another awakening in my life is to really understand that the practices that 
my teacher gave me are not his practices anymore. They're mine. Mm -hmm. you know, now this is my practice. And, and you got to really take on full responsibility for all things like that. The way you feel, the way you um, approach your practices, the way that you ask questions. Are they your questions? Like, do you really want to know the answers? Those kinds mm -hmm. of things. You have to take them on yourself. And to do that, you got to start, you got to stop looking for any answer outside of yourself, even if it's just for as an exercise, just as an exercise for a year and see what happens, you know? Um, yeah, I was going to share something else, but I forgot what it was. Oh, it's a good, it's a good thing um, that you said. And I think it's really interesting because even when I was in the, the point of meditation and I reached this amazing I, I can't explain it, but I, I went to, I went to the teacher and I, I told them, I said, okay, like, so my body was shaking. It was, it was still. And I was like, it was like vibrating, but I was still like, I was, I was motion, but I wasn't like, and I was explaining to him and he just sat there with this, this look on his face. And then once I finished, he goes, great. Now forget it. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, why? He goes, because if you always hold on to it, you'll never, you'll never be able to achieve other things in your life. So it's like, well, I had this high moment and then you keep on like using it as a pedestal to compare everything to. Well, that's not fair because there's different things. There's different moments. Like you felt that, but that's not even the tip of what you're going to feel if you continue to go down this path of like mm -hmm. non-attachment. So I thought that was really interesting. So once again, can yeah. you repeat those, those three questions that you said? Because they're very profound. Yeah. Uh, I forgot. What do you see when you stop looking? So when you close your meditation, what do you see when you stop looking with your inner eye? Um, what do you find when you stop searching? What's it, what is it the thing that you find when you actually stop searching? And what do you get when you let go of attachments? I think that's mm -hmm. what it was. It stop reaching. Like yeah, but it like basically is everything that you have to do in your practice. You know, when you start meditating, you're really trying to concentrate at one point and become focused, single-minded, with your eyes, with your body, with your breath, just focused. Well, at some point, you gotta let go of that and allow focus to pull you in. There's a magnetic quality to life, much like there's a magnetic quality to focus. You know, when you're meditation and you just relax a little bit, suddenly you feel that there's a magnetic pull to your mind, that. Right? You mm -hmm. first need to get there. So that's when you focus, 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 and you practice, and you practice for years, for years. And then at some point, You've built that inner muscle and you got to relax it so that that flow can pull you in, right? So that's kind of what I mean. And, and not just in, but that's just an example of meditation, but in life is the same way. At some point, you have to trust that you have the right momentum and that you can listen more than control your life. Well, next question I have, um, and then I have one last one, then we'll end it. It's, through our lives, when you're growing up, we have a lot of thoughts, feelings, and emotions that happen. How would you define these things? Would you say that you are your thoughts, you are your feelings, you are your emotions? Um, and because they say that you need to listen to yourself, but what is it in ourselves that we're listening to? Well, if you didn't live in the environment that you live, would you have those thoughts? those emotions, those feelings? 
What kind of thoughts would you have in a war-torn country? What kind of thoughts did you have when you were a child? You, you really are the momentum of all the thoughts that have been entering you from your surroundings and your emotions, the same thing. So you are definitely not those, even though mm -hmm. you are. <laughs> because the emotions are real. The feelings are real. The thoughts are real. But we've attached them so much to our reaction to the world and, and situations and ideas. And so we actually have a real problem of understanding those emotions. What is anger? What is sadness? Like, really, what is it? Mm -hmm. When you start to meditate and you start to practice letting go of attaching yourself to any stream of thought, but really observe the, where they come from or what they feel like, then suddenly you can create a separation. Because if you can observe something, you give your like the objective distance, then you can see that it's actually not what you are. You become the observer of that river come, flowing through. Then you can actually get a better grasp of what those things are. When you get a grasp on emotions like sadness and happiness and anger, you can experience them for what they are. And in experiencing them for what they are, you can let go of them when they're meant to like be go when they're meant to go. But we we attach so much to the cycle of the story that we get stuck in in modes of emotion. Well, I like what you say there. Right. Well, what you say there is very important. We can experience them for what they are, meaning that they're not you. You're you're not. It's like the idea of. I'm happy. I must be happiness, but happiness is gone. Now, who am I? Oh, I'm anger. It's like you're, you're, you're there to experience, um, to feel, to experience, but also at the, under, at the same point, understand that they're not you. The, the way that I describe it sometimes is, you know, we, we, we pick things up, we transmit due to your environment and a lot of those things that you're speaking about. But if you were in your car and you were to listen to a song of Justin Bieber, you would not think that you're Justin Bieber. But when you pick up a, a feeling of anger, we associate that that's who we are. But no, that's what you're picking up due to your circumstances and your surrounding as you were talking about. So I think that's a very valid point it's that like you brought trying, up. It's like trying to encapsulate a sunny day. Oh, I want this sunny day to last forever. I'm oh. just going to put it in a box. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. The, the rain's coming. I better cover my sunny day. <laughs> you can't do that. And that's really what thoughts and, or, and emotions are. It's like a weather pattern. They're like a weather pattern because thoughts and ideas come at you like the weather comes at you. Mm -hmm. And then your whole limbic system reacts to that thought, to that thing, and it creates an emotion. And it's very, very disturbed or distorted, sorry. Very, mm -hmm. very distorted emotions. Emotions now are very distorted. Why are people having so many emotional problems? Because they don't understand their emotions. They've never really sat down to look at them for what they are. And you have to. You have to because you don't get a chance when you're a child, at least not when I was a child. My child is going to get to experience all her emotions. You want to cry? Let's cry. You know? But a lot of us, men, we're taught to kind of like, let's not experience that. Well, mm -hmm. that 
which you weren't allowed to experience then is going to be experienced in life. The only problem is you never develop the tools to deal with them. And you can only deal with a tool. You can only find the tools by looking at what you're, at what you're building, you know, at what's broken. So it's important to do that. And I think it's a very important thing to do that in your meditation because that's soil ground for, for uh, your inner vision. Well, I think that's really true because even what I find interesting in schools is at a, such a young age that uh, a police officer or somebody will come in your school and teach you about drugs. But yet, how many of them actually come in and teach you about your emotions? Because sometimes we're so addicted to a feeling that we want it. Sometimes we get so addicted to anger that it feels so good in the moment. And you're like, ah, and you're like, like literally getting high off of anger. And then the come down, you're like, oh, what did I do? You know, because it does release certain kinds of chemicals within your body, experiencing them, feeling it. The fact that you'll let, you know, your daughter cry and experience, like feel the feels, you know, experience mm -hmm. it, understand it. I find that very important because very we, important. we have a little time left. Let me ask you one last question. Sure. If you, if you could be, if you had the opportunity to sit down with your younger self, what advice would you give them? You're all alone and don't be afraid. Hmm. You got everything that you need. Um, and to really see that those things that I fear and those things that I feel will are unsurmountable are really the teacher, are really the, the things that are going to help you develop self confidence self-confidence is having confidence that there's a higher self than the one that you're experiencing that's Very not nice. who you are you know you're asking you're saying about who you are my my this my that what you are is beyond anything that you can put to words so i can't really tell you i can't even think about it because it's beyond anything that that you can think that you can even think of it's those moments of you know, like that moment in the desert, that mm -hmm. moment that will never go away. It's that's that that that's that's what you get when you reflect. And your challenges are a really good tutor. They're pointing you in the right direction. Keep following them. That's what I would say to them. Beautiful. All right, brother. Well, I just want to acknowledge you and say thank you so much for your time, you. for your energy. Yeah. It really, you know, even since the first day we've met, I just felt uh, a great connection. And also the way that you view life, you, you bring in life, and the way that you actually teach your, you know, when you have your classes and you're around your students and you're teaching people and your philosophies in life, it's you constantly are able to create this beautiful environment for people to want to ask questions, to thrive, and to be be a part of it. So no wonder why you do the things that you do and you are the person that you are. The one thing is, you know, even the, the retreats, I know you have a retreat coming out in 2020 doing the, you know, the 2020 vision of the 2020 quest. And I know that that will be, that'll be happening in Peru and I'll make sure to, to leave it in the information, but I can see now, well, I can see why more and more people do want to go on these retreats with you, do want to go on these journeys with you because you're, you're not one to label, but one to open up space for other people. And in that, that's, that's a very beautiful place to grow and to live, to learn and
to have in our lives. So I just wanted to acknowledge you and say thank you so much for you. It's very sweet, man. I really appreciate it, and I appreciate you as well. I really appreciate the work that the 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 honesty and the um yeah the honesty in your in your questioning and keep keep going keep going let's all keep going um you know you you mentioned my retreats and my classes but i am just the facilitator of a moment that is going to happen because of us coming together that's that's how i try to treat these things it's not me up there and i'm trying to preach as much as it is okay let's all tune into something and let's see what happens So I do feel that I get as much as anybody else when I offer these retreats or when I do these intensives. It's that ability to really connect and feel what happens when you connect with people. Because we live in an age where we've lost that in many ways. And I think that we're going to find our way through each other, not through anything else, through ourselves and through each other. That's what I appreciate. Like I said, it's it's the fact that you like to hold space and allow people to show up how they want to, except instead of hold space to and tell people how they show up to make or to be more suitable for you. <laughs> They're two different things. So before we go, I need to, I would like for you to share, where can people find you? Sure. Thank you. Um, well, I'm on Instagram. You can follow me there and engage. Um, I do my best to reply to uh, direct messages, questions. Um, I have a website, andrewmeasleyyoga.com. Um, slowly building more of an interactive experience there. But you have all the information for my retreats that I do. Uh, my next two international ones is going to be Peru in 2020. It's, it's called 2020 Vision. What is your vision? What's your 2020 vision? <laughs> and so it's going to be an exploration of that of getting back to a place where we feel in tune with uh, our purpose. That's what that retreat's about. And it's in Peru. If you, Well, you've been to Peru. Mm-hmm. Not the perfect mm-hmm. place to do that or what? Oh, God, I love that place. Yes, perfect place it's to do that for sure. perfect place to do that because I teach also retreats in India, which I'm doing in 2021, but it's not quite the same. Mm-hmm. India has a whole other thing to, to share. But I find that Peru, in terms of connecting to your inner vision, is, uh, is the place to go. So if that sounds inter- interesting to anybody, we have a uh, early bird going on. We had it till January 1st. We're going to extend it to January 15th because it's a really short announcement time. So mm-hmm. we have an early bird until January 15th and they can find that on my website. Uh, in the fall, I'm, in, the, in the spring, I'm going to be doing a, uh, like a spring retreat in Alberta. That's on the website. And then in 2021, we're going back to India. Are you coming? <laughs> We'll see. I'll definitely be. <laughs> I'll definitely be traveling around. I have no doubt that we're going to bump into each other. But uh, yeah, yeah, it'll be beautiful. All right, brother. Well, once again, thank you so much for your time, for your energy, and for everything. Thank you. Bless you, brother. And bless you too. Peace. Peace.